Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast for our special Start Your Engines edition. This is the last Thursday of the month, and that means that our podcast at To Love, Honor, and Vacuum is going to be geared specifically for men. But of course, women, you are more than welcome to listen to because, hey, we just like to include everybody. Uh, I'm Sheila from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and not just a to-do list. And I know that's what a lot of guys would like too. Like, how do we up the passion in our marriage. And so for this podcast, uh, I am bringing on my daughter, Rebecca, and her husband, Connor, who both work for the blog as well. And we want to talk about how do you know what constitutes good sex advice? So, hey, Becca and Connor, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right. So, Becca, this was actually your idea that it we was. should do this. This. So, why don't you explain what the issue is? Maybe even with an example. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. I work on this blog where we talk about sex a lot and we talk about marriage a lot. But the thing is, we also run up into a lot of other places offering advice about sex. And a a lot of books, a lot of bloggers, a lot of articles online. And a lot of the advice is not very good. Right. For instance, Mm -hmm. in love and respect, women are encouraged to have sex with the logic of, well, it doesn't even take very long, so just do it. Yeah, why would you not do something that makes him so happy? Multiple O's in so. Yeah, exactly. When it, when it takes like only five minutes. Well, he, I don't think he gives a time limit on it. Well, and also, um, the guy doesn't get multiple O's typically. No, hey, Connor. <laughs> Connor, we can't have it in there. You can leave it in. Hey, I'm sure people think it's funny. <laughs> This is what we go through behind the scenes. Oh, my word. Water, oh, my word. I know. <laughs> no, but that's the thing is sex is shown as something that doesn't take that long and she should do it because he really needs it so much. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, that's just terrible sex advice. I know. And the thing I was saying to Connor the other day is the reality is a lot of ways that Christian teachers talk about sex quite frankly, makes it sound like maybe they're not experts in the field. Yeah. Like, maybe they just don't actually really know how to help people have good sex. Because I'm sorry, but if you are an author who wants to talk about sex, and you're really, really good at sex, and your wife loves sex, and you're like, yeah, we got this sorted out, Mm -hmm. the way you're going to talk about it is going to be very different. It's going to be something like, you know, this is a gift. You can help each other feel amazing. She's going to love it. You are going to rock her world. It's going to be amazing. And after all of the horrible stress of the day, you guys are just going to be able to fall into each other's arms and find comfort and peace and intense pleasure. You right, know? even if, or at least say that that is the goal, exactly. and let me help you get there. Exactly. Even if, yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not just love and respect either. This is all over Christian teachings. But the idea mm-hmm. of like the all these authors, these male authors, talking about you should have sex because it doesn't take that long, and he needs it. It's not just male. I've read it. I've read it from a lot of women too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but a lot of these authors, I'm just like, well, maybe the sex isn't that good, and that's why she doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like sex should be more than five minutes. I'm sorry, we did a survey of 22,000 women, which I'm sure you're all familiar with at this point, but we did a survey of 22,000 women, and we found that if men do not perform adequate amount of time on foreplay, the woman is Mm -hmm. significantly less likely to orgasm. Yes. Which means all this marriage advice where she should have sex because it it just doesn't take that long is pretty much making women have sex where they're not going to orgasm. 
and mm-hmm. dudes, like you want your woman to orgasm, right? Like that's yeah. It's it's like it's like it's, like it's assumed. It's like it's assumed that sex isn't for her and that she isn't going to feel very good, and and that's a problem. And so, yeah, I just want to talk about this broader issue that we have in the church, which is that pastors and authors are not necessarily experts at sex, and yet we're taking advice from them. So how can we figure out what are good sources of advice? All right, here's the actual quote since we're debating it. Okay, so this is on page 252 of Love and Respect. And I'll read the whole, I'll read the whole thing. A young woman told the following story to Sarah after one of our conference sessions. Every Sunday, she and her husband would visit her parents. But one Sunday morning, she called her mother and said, we're not coming. The mother asked, why not? Well, because my honey is in a twit, the daughter said. Why? inquired the mother. I suppose because we have not been sexually intimate for seven days. Mom did not hesitate. Gently but firmly, she let her daughter have it. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Why would you deprive him of something that takes such a short amount of time and makes him so happy? Maybe one reason that she would deprive him of that is because if she's just doing this quick little thing for him, then she's just submitting herself to be used purely for that sexual purpose is not at all about her no one wants to feel used mm-hmm. it's really degrading yeah especially when sex is supposed to be this deep knowing like it's supposed to be this intimate experience where you feel connected in every way and if someone is saying this is just for me you just lie there and let me use you it almost is a rejection it's not it's not just that it's not a deep knowing it's that it's actually rejecting knowing someone because i'm not making it about you i'm just using you you're sort of incidental to the whole thing exactly only about my pleasure so that actually is is felt on an emotional level by women like like a rejection like you don't actually care about me it's not just that you don't want to know me it's that you don't actually care about me um so it's quite damaging, really. Exactly. So let's figure out how we can actually find the good advice that's out there and how to accurately identify bad advice when we see it. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing that people really need to ask themselves, both men and women, when we're reading advice about sex, is one of two questions, depending on how we respond, okay? Mm-hmm. If, you, if it makes you uncomfortable, why does this make me uncomfortable? And if you like the advice, why do I like this advice? Yes. Right? Because we all have biases and we all have things that we want and we all have hidden motivations and we all have not so hidden motivations, you know? And so if we read something and we're like, oh, I don't like that. Well, do you not like it because it's something that requires more work on your part and you'd prefer to have a shortcut where she does all the work? Because if that's the case, then maybe it's good advice and it's going to bring you towards mutuality. Or Mm -hmm. do you not like this advice because... It just seems like it's only scratching the surface and you're looking for more and it's not actually filling that need. Like this idea that sex should be ha- sex should happen because it doesn't take that long and it makes him so happy. But what if you're a husband who wants to have that deep connection with his wife and this advice just doesn't seem to actually cling to that? Yeah, because a lot of our commenters are there. A lot of them are saying, I wish my wife would let me give her pleasure, and she just doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing, too, is that a lot of those husbands are married to wives who read books that have conditioned and taught their wives that sex is not for her pleasure. So even if he is a loving husband who wants to do everything he can for her, if she's filling her head with this kind of thing, it can be really hard to overcome that no matter how hard you try. And that's why you need to have open conversation with each other too about where are you at 
What do you mm-hmm. believe? Like, how do you feel about this? And how do you feel I feel about this? And how do I actually feel about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I like I like what you said about challenging people. You know, Connor, you've been going through all the blog posts. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's been, he, it's been it's been bad. Like we had what 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 did we have when we started? Like twenty seven hundred or something. Uh, we awful? had over twenty eight hundred posts on the site. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So so he's he started in two thousand eight when we started the blog, and he's been reading every single post to try to just get rid of the ones that aren't quite on brand or. Um, Anyway, it's 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 a long story, but but you you've seen it. I know back in 2013 or 14, I was writing a lot of posts where I was really challenging women to to view sex more positively, to uh, you know, to to spice things up, to get out there. And I had a lot of pushback, like from like yeah. women don't like being challenged. This isn't a male thing. None of us like being challenged. Yeah, like on the blog when you were writing those things, a lot of the women were giving a lot of pushback. They weren't comfortable with the stuff that you were saying because often, yeah, we don't like being challenged we get set in these grooves in these rhythms we find an amount of effort whether it be physical or emotional that we are used to and that we feel comfortable with and then it's hard to try to get outside of that and to be honest you know a good sex life does require uh an emotional commitment not just uh physical commitment of energy you need to get invested you need to get in there and it's uh, there can be some resistance and some pushback. I'm so. sorry. That's what she said. I'm sorry. To get in here. Oh. <laughs> is, is this what we're going to be like the whole time? Okay. I this is great. So. Great. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if we should leave it in. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. This is a weird job. Okay. Am I going to have to flag this episode explicit? <laughs> I didn't do that for the Erections podcast, so <laughs> probably not. Okay, yeah, no. Um, and we all know that the online stuff, the, one of the big problems we're, we're dealing with right now at, on a big wider society, not just about sex, is that we all tend to tend to go to echo chambers. Right. We like we like going to places that are going to say the things that we want to hear and that are going to justify how we feel and make make us feel like, yeah, I'm totally in the right. And that's not necessarily good advice. Yeah, exactly. And so when we see this same kind of thing echoed across a lot of Christian teachings, we need to ask ourselves, is this actually true good advice? It's based in research and we all actually generally agree that it's the right thing mm-hmm. or is this simply the current paradigm that's happening in christian circles that are relatively cloistered and don't actually look outside of their own kind of group because mm-hmm. that's a lot of what actually happens what actually happens is one person writes a book that another really big popular person quite enjoys because it, it speaks to their experience not necessarily mm-hmm. it's true for everyone but it speaks to their experience and that's how things get shared is well this is right about me and then they don't actually ask themselves but is this actually right for the majority of people or even if it is right for the majority of people should this be right for the majority of people yeah let me give you a great example um Joshua Harris in 1990s wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It, it blew up. He has since recanted. He's even recanted the faith. It's quite a tragic situation. And many people have said that that book harmed them. But one of the things that that book taught is that you shouldn't kiss until the wedding. It was very important not to kiss until the wedding. And that became the standard 
in many ways for what Christians should do before the wedding. And so if you go on blogs, even right now, if you were to go on Pinterest, which I know you guys aren't going to do, but this just bear with me here because this is important. You know, um, just go on blogs about about raising teenagers. So many of them will say you shouldn't kiss before you're married. And if you go on YouTube, there's so many videos about that. And growing up, you feel like nobody kisses before they're married. And so in our survey, we asked people, did you kiss before you were married? And you know what the you know what the stat was? I'm even going to share the stat. 96% of Christians kissed before they were married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even though this has been the big thing, this isn't what people actually do. And exactly. that's what I want people to understand is that things can get really big in the Christian community. And you can have advice that is out there that everybody takes as gospel. But it doesn't mean it's true. And it doesn't mean that this is what people are actually doing. And the thing is, even if it is true for the majority of people, just because it's true for the majority of people does not mean that it is right or good advice. The majority of people lie to their spouse at some point. Mm -hmm. We don't then give advice saying, well, then you should lie to your spouse. If the majority of marriages have incredibly short sex where it just doesn't last for very long and she does it out of obligation to him, that does not necessarily mean that that's a good thing. That might mean that we have an epidemic of obligation sex that's not satisfying for her. And so that's the thing, too. So, so far we have ask yourself why you're responding to it the way you're responding to it to check your own personal biases. Then the second thing is ask where is this person coming from? Is there an, an overarching paradigm or zeitgeist or are they in an echo chamber themselves? Or is this backed up by research, by real understanding of the world as it is? And check their biases as well. Mm-hmm. So let's give another example. Uh, so John Piper wrote something which uh, Becca found when she was doing research for a book, which made us laugh. And so, Connor, do you want to read this excerpt from Desiring God? Yeah, I'd love to. So he says, There aren't any ideal sexual experiences in the world, I don't think. Every woman probably has a picture in her mind of what she would or wouldn't like, and every man has a picture in his mind, and they're never identical. Maybe once in a thousand, you would say, This marriage represents her receiving and giving exactly what she wants, and him receiving and giving exactly what he wants. They're always in total harmony all the time. That just never happens virtually, which means that marriage is a test case for sanctification and for self-denial, and it works both ways. And so there's a good part in that where he's talking about it working both ways. So there is that Mm -hmm. that sense of mutuality. Mm -hmm. That was the Mm -hmm. last sentence. He got that right. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But like my concern with reading that is that to honestly believe that there aren't any ideal sexual experiences in the world, I think you have to reduce sex to purely a form of fetishes, lusts, physical aspects. Yeah, and the thing that I think when I'm looking at this is that he's talking about this picture in their mind of what the ideal sexual experience is, and it's all about meeting up to that picture of the ideal sexual experience. But a sexual experience should be something that can just be experienced in the moment, whether it was ideal or it was not, is experienced in that moment. It doesn't have to meet up to an ideal. You are simply there with your partner. It's about the here. It's about the now. It's not about... Mm, is it meeting up to my expectations? Is it meeting up to what I wanted? No, you can just live in it. You can just be there. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I, I just found the whole thing so bizarre because I don't think, and I, I'm trying to say this without using too much information here, especially because you are my kids, but I don't think at the end I've ever asked myself, was that an ideal sexual encounter? You're just happy. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's just it's just kind of weird. Yeah. There there have been times where I've been like that was ideal, not because there was this preconceived notion of what I was hoping to get from it that I had going in and I thought yep that ticked off all the boxes but rather just I came out of it feeling yes that was perfect and I think the difference really comes down to an entitled mindset about sex versus a relational mindset about sex and this goes both ways right so she might have these completely unrealistic expectations. Maybe she wants you to look like some dude in her romance novels, or she wants you to sweep her off her feet and make her feel a way, and you can't control how she feels. She has to do that, right? Like, I think there's there's that mindset from women a lot of the time, where it's like, well, you didn't get me hot and bothered in the way that I wanted to, and so you failed. Um, because there's that entitlement of, I'm trying to get something out of this, Right. And on the other side, a lot of times, I think that husbands can go into it being like, okay, well, I want sex in this specific way, and I want it to make me feel good. And you go in expecting something, and if it doesn't really live up to that, again, that mental picture in your mind, that's a disappointment. But if both people go into sex feeling like it's simply a way to, like Connor said, just be it's not about the actions in the same way. It's not about whether or not at every single moment you are at the height of all possible physical or sexual pleasure you could possibly have in that moment. The, what makes an ideal sexual experience is that you enter into someone else's existence. Right. And you allow them to enter into yours. And that transcends all of this. And I think that if you go into sex with an idea of, like, I'm going to see if she finally gets it this time. Or I'm going to see if he finally does it right. Sometimes that can be a self-destructive mentality. Because mm -hmm. we then rob sex of what it truly is. Which is to simply joyfully and with complete abandon throw ourselves at our spouses and simply enjoy them. Does that make any sense? I, th I think it does. And I want to say something controversial here. Are you ready? Yeah, I can just cut it out if need be. <laughs> <laughs> I think that part of the reason that a lot of this stuff has become the norm in Christian teaching, stuff like she's never really going to enjoy sex. So sex begins in the kitchen because when you do the dishes, that's the only way to get her hot or sex doesn't take very long. So why wouldn't she do it? Or you're never going to, you're never really get both going to enjoy sex at the same time. And sex is really about giving and about compromising and realizing that it's never going to be ideal. I think a lot of the reason that all of this has become mainstream is because we've really only had male voices talking about sex in the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah we haven't had both voices and you know guys don't necessarily know what women want any more than women necessarily know what men want <laughs> yeah we can both think that we know what the other person wants yeah. but mm -hmm. the reality is we need to let that person actually speak for themselves yeah and, and i'm going to say something here i don't think that this problem is strictly confined to the christian world i mean we, we are talking about the christian world here but um I think that, in general, that is an issue that kind of spreads all across society, this not really knowing or understanding what women want or need, and not really having a lot of female voices 
speaking about it. And when you do, it tends to be uh, perceived as kind of really progressive and feminist and... Yeah, left-wing or something, which is weird. It shouldn't be a feminism matter for women to just have an equal voice, or I guess that is feminism, but, (laughs) you know, we shouldn't be marginalizing that perspective because it's like, oh, that's... Ah. Yeah, wanting women to have orgasms is not left-wing Christianity. No. no. It's <laughs> it's just simply biblical. God was the one who gave women a clitoris. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, it's not left-wing Christianity. But here's what happens, okay? So, pastors get all this theological training, and they, they go and they lead a church, but it doesn't mean they know anything about sex. And yet, they have people coming into their offices all the time needing marriage advice and most pastors maybe not all um well certainly not all i'm gonna say most i hope most but they've only ever had sex with one person the wife the wife that they are currently married to and so they may think that they know everything about sex but they don't know everything about sex they only know what sex is like with their wife and so you don't necessarily know what happens in other people's bedrooms and what other people experience Um, One of the things that Gary Thomas has said to me is that he's so grateful that I write a lot about vaginismus, about women's pain during sex, because he gets a lot of people coming into his office. He doesn't know what to what to do about that. And so he sends them to me because there just isn't a lot of stuff out there. And that's great. But if pastors don't realize that not everybody experiences sex in the same way, then they can make blanket statements without realizing that they don't apply. One of the things I do appreciate about John Piper's article there that we quoted is that he did say that not all men have the higher sex drive yeah mm-hmm. which is great um but certainly emerson egrich in love and respect said that basically no women have sex drives um willard harley and his needs her needs said that sex is a need for men but not for women really you know all of these things and it's it's really highly concerning um but i think that this comes from thinking that just because you're a pastor and you know scripture means that you can comment on every area of life And I think it's important that we start asking if the people that we are listening to about sex actually know much about sex. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because if you're a pastor who is also, you know, a psychologist with a specialization in sexual rehabilitation issues, that's a very different conversation than your average, you know, Dave who went to Bible school and is now a pastor of a small church. Yeah, or even a pastor of a very large church. Yeah. This is the problem. Lots of people who write these books are pastors of very, very large churches. Doesn't mean they know anything about sex. Exactly. And and I know when I started writing back in 2009, 2008, I assumed that women were the ones with the lower sex drives. And I have now changed how I write because I've listened to commenters and I found that, you know what, in 30% of marriages, she's the one with the higher sex drive. We need to give ourselves permission to question those in positions of authority, those who are teaching, because honestly, if they know what they're talking about, what they're saying will hold up under scrutiny. Yeah, exactly. And so the thing is, often we're so scared to question something that, you know, John Piper would say because, well, it's John Piper or love and respect because, well, it sold millions of copies, right? And so how can it possibly be wrong? But I hope that we can see more and more that people are having a critical eye for what they are 
consuming. I mean, we even want that on our website. Like that's what you've been doing with going through all of our old content is getting rid mm-hmm. of a lot of stuff that we don't agree with anymore because we have grown. We have mm-hmm. listened and we've changed our opinion on a lot of things because research and other people's experiences simply don't match up yeah. to what we believed. And so I think that's just what's so important. Um, when you are looking for sex advice, when you're looking to help your sex life get better in your marriage, it comes down to, again, first of all, checking your own biases, whether you like or dislike the material. You know, checking the author's biases, whether they're in an echo chamber, whether they have actually, uh, whether they have some sort of, you know, underlying motivation for this particular message. But then also questioning it and checking their credentials. Mm-hmm. And seeing, is this guy only speaking about this because he's a really popular pastor? Or is this written by a sex therapist who yeah. has, like, you know, 28 years of work in the field and is a Christian and, you know, knows about what the Bible says about sex as well? Like, there's there's a very big difference between reading materials from someone who's trained in the field and someone who's not. And that comes down to the same issues that we have with licensed counselors versus biblical counselors Mm -hmm. and the same issues that, you know, um, the difference between getting cancer um, treatment advice from an oncologist versus a podiatrist. Like it's, it's just very different. You need to be critical. Yeah. And that's what, that's one thing that I've really seen going through like a, a lot of your older posts, Sheila. Uh, going through a lot of the older stuff on the blog, is there has been this steady change and evolution of what you talk about and the way that you talk about it, because really talking about particularly sex in Christian marriages has become more and more of a focus uh, throughout the last decade. And while you used to talk about it, like you said, from this very, you know, it's not a lot of a lot of the time women are going to be the ones who have the lower sex drive and so let's talk about things in this way the more that you've written on it the more that your views and your approach has changed and evolved because this is what you do and this is where you have been getting more engaged in the research you've been getting more involved with the findings you've been hearing from the people you've been hearing from the men and from the women who are having problems who are having things great and so because of all of that you have changed your perspective and you've changed where you're coming from yeah and you know last month um keith wrote his first blog post uh for to love honor and vacuum and he wrote it on how marriages that allow both people to influence decisions so when you when you allow the other spouse to influence you those are the marriages that do well whereas marriages where um, men make all the decisions actually statistically do not do well and what he wanted to do was he wanted to look at the research and that's, and that's really important because I think part of the issue here is that we're using the Bible wrong. Okay, the Bible, and you hear this all the time, the Bible is our handbook for life. All we need for life is in the Bible. We shouldn't be reading anything other than the Bible. The Bible is meant to show us who God is mm-hmm. and, how, and how to grow close to him and how to understand who he is. It is not meant to be... A handbook on absolutely everything in your life exactly and there are only a very very few verses on sexuality in the Bible specifically on sexuality now you mm-hmm. can find in the Bible lots of trends and lots of um, there's lots of evidence there that that what God wants for people is real mutuality and real intimacy and that's what sex was created for absolutely but just because you know the Bible does not mean that you know absolutely everything about how sex works. And I think that we need to take the, 
the perspective that Keith took when he wrote that article and say, what does the research actually show? And let's let's keep up with the research. Let's, uh, you know, I spent, I, Keith and I had just got back from um, a long cruise. We really needed some time off. And I read so many books, not novels, but actual books to help with this. One of them was your Bo- The Body Keeps the Score on how trauma affects us. I read another book on women's orgasm that many people have recommended, and I'll be writing more about that soon. But also, we did this survey of 22,000 women so that we can actually look, do our own research, and figure out what works in sex. So, you know, let's let's listen to the research and let's not be afraid of it. And let's not think that just because someone has an MDiv means that they know about sex. Exactly. And I think that that whole idea of listening to the research and growing is so important, too. And that ties into the last point that we talked about, where you have to check credentials. Another really important thing that we do in research, because I, I was a psychology major, right? So did my honors thesis and did a huge literature review. And the big thing is, if it's more than five years, you it's suspect mm-hmm. in psychology research. Now, I think that's a little harsh, but say if a book is more than 10 years old or if a blog post is like five years old because blog posts get recycled so often you know if a book is old and has not been revised changed or updated at all and it's on something where there's a lot of research coming out in this field you know i would be incredibly skeptical incredibly skeptical because most books are revised at some point Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be revising The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex when it has its 10-year anniversary, the new revised version, I believe, the coming out in 2022, because I want to include some of our new research, and I have different things that I want to say, so I'm really excited about that. One last point before we end this segment. How do you know whether it's good sex advice? Whether you need to have a proper view of what healthy sexuality is. You need to have something to measure it against. And... Healthy sexuality is about two people experiencing physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy all at the same time. Um, One of the most important things that we can understand is that sex is not just about a man putting his penis into a woman's vagina until he climaxes. That, That tends to be the definition of sex that we think about. You know, sex is so much more than that. It's about how you relate, um, physically sexually it's not just about intercourse because you know that definition of sex leaves her out entirely (laughs) she can just lie there and think of england you know like it needs to be about both of you experiencing each other together and when we have that definition of sex in our minds and we start reading this stuff we'll see when stuff doesn't match up so to summarize when you're evaluating information about sex you need to look at these five things. You need to examine your biases. You need to examine their biases. You need to examine their credentials. And you need to look at how old the information is or if it's been changed, if it's amenable to change. And you need to take a look to see if it's presenting a healthy, mutual perspective on sex that isn't just about the physical. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if we start actually looking at things critically and looking at it in the larger scale of what do I actually want sex to look like in my marriage? Like, do I even want sex to look like what they're presenting? Do you want sex to never be an ideal experience? Do you want sex to be not that long and she just gets it over with? Is that really what you want in your marriage? Because if it's not, don't be afraid to leave these larger names behind and go find the advice that truly looks like what the Bible and what Jesus wants for you and for your wife. You can hope for something better. Yep. 
All right. I also want to tackle some reader questions because I like putting them in there and just answering all the stuff that comes into the blog about how men can understand women better. You know, tomorrow I am running um, a post about how your period is not your body malfunctioning. Like women's periods are natural and they're not something bad that you have to defeat. And I got this question on Facebook yesterday, which I thought fit so well with that. And it's from a guy. And Becca, why don't I let you read it? Sure. Okay. So here's what he said. One thing that I see men needing understanding on is dealing with hormonal changes in their wives. One week, anything gets her in the mood. The next, you pull out all the stops and nothing. Guys need to understand (laughs) women's cycles and that it's not that they are not doing the right thing. It's just that she is not hormonally into it. Okay, so great question. And it really does go so well with what we're talking about this week. And all month on the blog, we've been talking about how to love your body and understand your body better. And you know, hormones are part of a woman's body, but they're really, they they can get really confusing. And I think... I think it kind of gets a bad rap. So this is just Becca and me talking because Connor went away. We thought this might be a better conversation just between two women. But we want to we want to explain to you guys what is actually happening. Exactly. Okay, so here's here's a little bit of an explanation of how women's hormones work over the course of the cycle. And any medical person listening to this is going to be cringing through the whole thing because I know I'm oversimplifying. Okay, (laughs) so let me just put that out there. We're not trying to pass the MCATs. We're just (laughs) trying to help husbands understand. Yes. So this is a vast oversimplification, um, but hopefully this will give a little bit of insight anyway. Okay, so when... When we talk about a woman's cycle, day one is the first day of her period. So I'm going to take you through from day one to the end of the month when her next period starts to just explain to you what happens to her hormonally. So during her period, for most women, sex is off the table. Okay, not for all women. I think the stat is about 20% of women find period sex perfectly fine. Um, A lot of women don't, especially if their flow is heavier. Like you just kind of feel gross, okay? Like there's so much blood flow there that everything kind of gets engorged, but not in a good way. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it, except you just don't want to be touched there, (laughs) okay? Yeah, it's just not, not, no bueno. No bueno. <laughs> now, now, for some women, though, that's not the case. And so th- this is just that I, I personally, I think it's entirely up to you. I don't think that there's any, it's not about anything moral or anything like that. Entirely up to you. But so, so this really varies woman to woman based on how heavy your flow is, how long your period lasts, what your cramps are like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also important to recognize that even though 20% of women may be totally fine with period sex, if your wife isn't, you feel it's not fair. Well, you're in a camp of 80%. So (laughs) it's kind of normal. So if she says no, it's no. Right, right. Okay, so then after her period, something interesting happens because your body, God made our bodies to conceive children. (laughs) No, like we're supposed to have kids. And one of the ways that God made us have kids is he put hormones in a woman's body so that she wants sex more the closer she gets to ovulation. All right, so she's got hormones swimming around in her body. And as you get closer to ovulation, which for most women occurs around day 11 to 16 of her period, somewhere in there, okay? Um, That's right at ovulation. That's when she is most raring to go. That's when her body is most likely to get spontaneously aroused. Because for a lot of women, that that hardly ever happens. Like you just never think about sex spontaneously. You never get like wet, so to speak, spontaneously. 
you're not panting for your husband spontaneously. You can respond to him and it's not like you can't get aroused, but it doesn't just happen. Okay. But if it is going to just happen for women, very likely it's the day before or the day of ovulation. All right. And so consider that time from her period to ovulation. So let's say if your period lasts, you know, five days. So let's say from day six to day 11 or 12 or 13 or 14 or whatever, that's your green zone in the month. Yeah. Okay. That's when she's like, come take me, baby. (laughs) You know, and as much as she's going to be. Then ovulation happens. And, you know, women are only fertile for a very short period of time. Okay, so the egg lasts a, a few, just only a very few days. Sperm lasts only a very few days. And so conception can really only happen in those very few days, right around ovulation. And so after ovulation, your body's like, yeah, I'm done. You know, the egg's there. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But we don't need sex anymore. Yep, our work is done. Yeah, our work is done. And so your body just kind of goes, no, I'm done. And so for the next week or so, I call that her red zone. All right. So she's just not really going to want sex. Doesn't mean you can't have sex. And we'll, we'll talk in a minute. And it doesn't mean that every woman experiences a complete drop of libido. It's just that if you have a wife who does experience an absolute drop of libido, it's likely going to be during this week. Exactly. And so like a week ago, you could do something to her, which has her in raptures. All right. And then this, then today you're doing exactly the same thing, right? Move for move, exactly the same. And you know, she's lying there thinking, will you just get it over with? Cause I want to get to sleep, right? Because she just can't seem to respond in the same way. And, and actually it is much harder for her to respond. It doesn't mean she can't. And in a minute, we'll talk about how to handle sex and all of these different zones. I just want you to understand what those zones are. So a week or two after ovulation, she's in the red zone. Not that she can't have sex, not that she can't get aroused. It's just, it's just much more difficult. Doesn't tend to happen spontaneously. Okay. Then you have the week before your period. And this really varies from woman to woman. If she has really bad PMS, it's going to show up here. Um, it just, some women don't have a difficult time during that week. A lot of women do. This is when women often get really emotional. Um, and that's not a bad thing, by the way, like we, we make fun of women for that, but it is hormonal. It is natural. And maybe it's good to just pay attention to what you're feeling. I think, I think that week helps women to get a little bit more insular and, and really take stock of what's going on in their lives. And that's not a bad thing. We all need to do that sometimes, but that's the week where she's going to feel more emotional. She might feel a little more snappy at the people in her lives, but at the same time, some women get like kind of hot again. So I call that the I call that the orange zone. It's like she's really prickly, but she wants you, and so you're not trying to care for. Yeah, it's like it's like she's kind of a porcupine. Now, not every woman gets hot during that week, but it, so it really is one of those very like women are all different during that week. Okay, but that could be yeah, these are average. That could be the orange zone again. My apologies to all the medical people listening. I know that this is a vast oversimplification. Okay. <laughs> um, but that's what she looks like over the course of the month. So, you know, you're going to have the, the days of her period, then you're going to have the green zone, then the red zone, and then the orange zone, and then her period begins again. And so if you think that you're married to a different woman sexually throughout the month, you probably are. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not in your head. It's not in your head. No. Now, if she's on the birth control pill, all of that goes away. All right. All of that goes away because she doesn't have the same hormonal fluctuations. And for many women, the birth control pill is like being in the red zone all the time. 
Yeah. Because you don't have those ups and downs, you tend to just have the down because she's not ovulating. <laughs> uh, so a lot of women actually find that their libidos increase if they come off the pill. Yeah, and if low libido has been an issue in your marriage for a very long time, you may want to consider trying other birth control methods like using condoms instead or something like that to see if it helps mm-hmm. bring her libido back. Because a lot of people come onto our blog saying, I was on birth control for 10 years, thought I was a low libido spouse, I got off of it to try to get pregnant, and wowza, yep. it changed everything. Yep. So I know a lot of guys love the idea of the pill because, hey, it's just so easy and I don't have to think about condoms. But for a lot of couples, you know, you might want to think about, is it really worth it? Exactly. Now, not all women experience low libido. They don't. But um, from what we've heard on the blog, certainly that that is the case. So um, and, and a lot of medical studies show that as well and just makes sense hormonally. So um just keep that in mind. And also, once she goes through menopause, it's kind of like she's in that red zone in a lot of ways because she doesn't get that surge at ovulation. Now, during perimenopause and the menopausal period, she actually could get a lot of green zone stuff because her hormones are just all out of whack. And so there are <laughs> times where suddenly she might be in the green zone even for an extended period of time. So, you know, you just never know. Exactly. Just roll <laughs> but, with it. But just roll with it but the ups and downs do happen so let's let's just talk about how to handle all of this practically now let's say that your anniversary is coming up and you want to plan a sexapalooza weekend like you want to go (laughs) away for the weekend you want to get a babysitter you want to have an amazing time it's worth looking at the calendar oh my goodness yes (laughs) Is this going to be in the green zone or the red zone? Yeah. Is she going to be on her period? Is she going to be, you know, just feeling, is she going to, does your wife have bad PMS? And is she likely to be bloated and cranky and just generally Mm -hmm. feeling like she doesn't want people to touch her, you know? Yeah. So if you can plan those sexapalooza weekends during her green zone, your life is probably going to be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, but, but that doesn't mean that the red zones aren't helpful too. Oh, one more thing about the green zones. Let's say that your wife struggles with orgasm and she, um, she might orgasm some ways like, like manual, manual stimulation, oral stimulation or whatever, but orgasming during intercourse is really difficult for her. Um, it's really hit and miss. And this is a really big goal you've had and you've kept trying to do that. If you're going to, like, try, try during the green zone. Exactly. Don't make a big deal out of it during the red zone. Exactly. If you want to try to get your wife to learn how to be aroused, if you want to retrain her body to be aroused, it's better to try on easy mode Mm -hmm. versus jumping in at hard mode. Yeah, because, you know, she's already going to be feeling kind of weird in that red zone, just emotionally and especially during the orange zone. So just, you know, just just keep in mind when the green zone is. And if you're going to do something new, if you're going to try to meet some of these goals, do it during that time of the month, okay? And can I also just say that this is a conversation you can have with your wife? Yes. You know, like, don't just creepily track her cycle behind her back and then be like, hey, honey, turns out in two days you're going to be wanting me. And she's like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, yes. this is something which is good to say, like, hey, I want I want to make sure that I can, you know, help you when you're going through this kind of stuff. And I want to make sure our marriage is, is optimized to your cycle and that kind of thing and have a conversation about it. Don't just maybe show up and be like, well, we can't go that way because you'll be real cranky those days. So why don't we go with a weekend after? 
Yeah. It's like that might just not go over as well. Except this so. this is actually a really good segment to listen to with your wife. Very, with your very, wife. Very exactly. Do not be a creepy dude with calendar in the background. Yes. Okay. <laughs> excellent, excellent point. Um so what do you do in the red zones? Um uh, red zones do not mean that sex can't be good. Okay? Red zones just mean that she's gonna take a lot longer to to warm up. And to get aroused, yeah. probably. Um, it doesn't even mean that she doesn't mentally or emotionally want sex. It's just that her body isn't quite there in the same way. So there's not the same blood flow to the genitals. Um, yeah, she just doesn't get that spontaneous arousal in the same way. So start with the back massage. Like really, give her give her a prolonged back massage. Help her to relax. Start with the bath. Um, spend a long take the kids for a while so that she can go and relax and get into a better headspace. Yeah, um, like if you normally take the kids for an hour in the evenings, try taking them for two. Yeah, exactly. And and just let her. Um, yeah, just get in that good headspace and make sure that during the red zone foreplay is really extended okay so if you're gonna do the super spicy stuff try the green zone although you know sometimes the spicy stuff works now that i'm thinking about it works in the red zone like my my 24 spicy dares and i'll put a link to it in the podcast description for this podcast um a lot of them be great for the red zone yeah because they allow things to take longer and um and that's often what she just needs during that time uh i also have a post on how hormones work over the month and i will put a link to the podcast description there too just so that you can read this and there's a graphic that can help with that as well so i will put those things in the podcast description always remember that at uh, to love honor and vacuum.com i do do a post that goes along with the podcast with a lot more links so you can go on some rabbit trails but anyway so we have we have the red zone and then you know in the orange zone that's i don't i don't even know how to give you advice i think i think a lot of it comes down to if your wife is experiencing extreme emotional ups and downs because i like just i mean i've talked about postpartum sex on here we're already past the tmi mark yeah. but i i experience quite intense emotional responses during that week mm-hmm. and what helps me so much is just when connor acts like the most selfless husband ever like that's the week where if he does the dishes i start to cry <laughs> you know like that that kind of thing even though he does the dishes with regularity like it's like do the things that you know makes your wife feel safe and loved and seen mm-hmm. maybe for your wife that's picking her flower getting her flowers even if you know she's been a complete mess for three days you know and or maybe it's bringing her back some chocolate or some of her favorite takeout and being like don't worry about cooking tonight honey I'm like, I'm going to treat you instead. Or like, maybe there's something like that you can do. But I think that that often can help your wife just feel like I'm not in this alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think the final thing that I just want to say is to remember that these hormonal fluctuations, while we, we joke about them and we talk about them like, uh, oh, there's something evil that, that we have to deal with and get her back to normal. It's not like the green zone is normal and everything else isn't. Like, yeah, everything is normal. This is the way that God made our bodies. It isn't even a result of the fall. Like this is, you know, pain during childbirth is a result of the fall. I certainly think period cramps are are a result of the fall. (laughs) But hormonal fluctuations are not a result of the fall. That's the way that women's bodies work. Um, Some of the negative side effects that go along with them and the medical conditions we can get. Yeah, okay. You know, those are are illnesses. Those are not great. But hormonal fluctuations in and of themselves are not bad. And even when she's getting prickly, I think, I think often 
that seen as a really negative thing because women ourselves don't accept that of us. Like if you look in the Old Testament, when women had their periods, they actually had a week off from everything. Yeah. <laughs> like it was actually a break, you know? Um, whereas today women are expected to function exactly the same every day of the month. And they're not supposed to let anybody else know what's going on. That's a source of great shame, you know? Uh, and I think getting back to understanding that things do fluctuate and that's normal. And so women may need different things. Like, you know, in that green zone, that's that's her power surge. Like, that's when she's going to be the most productive. That's when she can clean out closets. That's when she can get a huge um, project done for work. That's when she can have her creativity bur- burst, you know. And then in those orange zones, she may just need to journal a lot, a lot take stock of what's going on in her life. It's a great time to plan what you're going to do for the next month because you, you're just a lot more introspective those aren't bad things (laughs) so I, i think that if we if we understand that her hormonal fluctuations they're not sinful they're not bad this is the way that god made her and if you can appreciate her in each of those zones i think your marriage can go a lot better Exactly, because although I do want to say that though all the fluctuations in themselves are not bad, we can react to them in a bad way yes. as women. Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry, but being hormonal during PMS does not give your wife permission to be mean, to be cruel, to be just flying off the handle, to lose her temper. It does not act yes, as an excuse. Absolutely. When we're talking about moodiness, what we're talking about is what's what is expected and natural is the the introspective, almost melancholy Mm -hmm. that a lot of women get. But her saying, well, because I'm a woman, you signed up for two weeks of this every month and not doing anything to try to control her emotions Mm -hmm. is a problem. Mm -hmm. The response to realizing that you're hormonal is not to simply make everyone else bear the brunt of your hormonal outbursts. It's to say, okay, I need to take it easy this week and I need to, you know, maybe go to bed a bit earlier. I need to take a bath. I need to make sure that I'm eating well and not eating absolute junk so that, you know, I don't fly off the handle because it is her responsibility to to express her emotions in a healthy way Mm -hmm. and not to take it out on her family, on her husband, on her friends. And I know a lot of women use PMS in their period as an excuse to be absolutely horrible people. Yes. And that is not acceptable and not appropriate as someone who has horrible, horrible experiences (laughs) during the time of the month. You know, it's it's not appropriate. Yes. Very, very true. Um, I will say, okay, two more things that I want to say quickly. Uh, Some things that guys may not understand is that when women live in close proximity to one another, their their cycles tend to coalesce. (laughs) Uh, So women women who live together tend to have periods around the same time. So you'll find that when women share a house at college, they all tend to be on the periods together, you know, but it's also true if you have teenage daughters. And so when, um, when you and Katie were younger, when the three of us were living at home, we all tended to get PMS at the same time. Poor dad. <laughs> so, you know, that's a great time just to watch, have family movie nights and things like that. Yes. that are more low Maybe key. not competitive board games. <laughs> right, exactly. So just, just be aware of that because some guys aren't aware of that phenomenon. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is that sometimes these these huge hormonal reactions, like where, when women go really out of whack, um, actually can be controlled with a more healthy lifestyle. 
Yes, eating, that is so important. By eating better, you know, get rid of the fast food, um, eat more whole foods, don't eat as much canned goods, no processed foods, don't don't buy the pre-made meals. Obviously, you need some sometimes. Gosh, I'm not I'm yes. not saying you can never have it. Like we all we all need those days off, okay? But on the whole, the the healthier that you can eat, the more that she will these hormonal fluctuations will just be regular things and not like insane things. <laughs> um, and then there's other if you find though that that she is really experiencing debilitating hormonal fluctuations then please see a doctor because there's often things that she can do exactly it's so important i and i do want to say too that one of the best things that you can do to help regulate your mood while you're going through this is exercise mm-hmm. that's another one, one. of the absolute yeah. best things you can do i yeah. joined highland dancing class and i'm just saying it honestly helped Mm -hmm. and it sounds very strange but if you're feeling really angry or you're feeling just really really depressed when you're on when you're on pms or during your period or something like that you kind of do get a bit of an endorphin rush by exercising and it helps to kind of balance out things yes so that you can handle it a lot better so often what we want to do is hole up with three bags of chips and you know 18 rom-coms but it might be better to maybe have some you know chicken in quinoa <laughs> and then you know join a dance group or something yes yes just want to point out that my daughter who had a maiden french name and a current german name is actually majority scottish <laughs> so yeah well i think majority british oh yeah but... you're, you're, well you're majority yeah. english and, yes. and and but still a huge huge part of you is a scottish. huge chunk scottish okay yeah. so there we go there th- that is letting guys in on the hormonal fluctuations that go with women's cycles and i hope that that will help you get a new insight into how you can approach sex again don't be creepy dude with calendar um but <laughs> <laughs> talk to your wife about this she may not know a lot about a lot of this stuff either honestly i didn't know a lot. many women don't i didn't know a lot about this until i started researching it a couple of years ago um for writing the good girl's guide to great sex so you know, check it out. Very interesting stuff. And I, I think that it frees us up. And because sometimes you can you can have these really bad sexual encounters in the red zone and you can think, what did I do wrong? And she can think, how come I'm not orgasming? I must be upset about something. And then she goes on this big introspective, am I mad at him? Sex is never going to be good. And you just don't realize, hey, it's just hormones. Don't worry about it. Just wait a week. You'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks for joining me on the Start Your Engines edition of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm really grateful that you trust me to fill you in on what women feel and on how you can make sex great. Because, you know, there is a lot of weird stuff out there, especially in the Christian world, about how sex is supposed to work. And I, I want to encourage us all to seek out scientifically based information, stuff that's research based. And especially stuff that includes the women's perspective. I think too often we talk about sex as if it's mostly for the guy and the woman is more the afterthought. And I don't actually think that's what you guys want. I think that what most men want is a tremendous, passionate, mutual experience. And we can't get there if women are left out of the conversation. So let's keep women's perspectives in there as well as men's perspectives and see sex a lot more holistically. So join us on the last Thursday of every month for the Start Your Engines podcast. Join me at to love, honor, and vacuum.com where I will be talking about sex, of course, and where my husband is also writing a lot more frequently. And let's remember to keep marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. 